Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Buy-to-let lending is back, but can two new mortgage providers really revive the market? Child trust funds are no more, but will there be tears before bedtime? And capital gains tax is going up, but should you try to second-guess what the new rates will be? All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent. I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Tanya Poli. Hi. Ellen Kelleher. Hello. And Alice Ross. Hello. And our special studio guest, Steve Wiesner, Independent Financial Advisor from Radcliffe and Newlands. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, the buy-to-let property sector got a boost as not one but two new lenders entered the mortgage market. Precise Mortgages, which is backed by US-based private equity firm Elliott Associates, began offering loans to buy-to-let property investors from Monday. And Aldermore Bank, which is owned by venture capital company Anacap Financial, is now lending on both residential and buy-to-let business. But with neither of these being exactly household names, and all of their buy-to-let products being available only through panels of specialist brokers, can they really revive property investing? Um, Tanya, will this make much of a difference? I think we've got to look at it as kind of every bit helps. I mean, the the buy-to-let market has kind of really um, been badly hit by the credit crunch. Um, It's probably the worst part of the mortgage market to be affected. Um, We've seen kind of the number of products, buy-to-let products, plummet from 3,000, like in the peak of the market, August 2007, down to just 300 this week. So really, it has seen quite a, you know, there's not that much kind of choice in the market for buy-to-let investors to actually, if they want to sort of, you know, remortgage the loans or actually, you know, purchase a property. Um, but it does, It does. I mean, obviously, any kind of new entrance into market always helps. Um, it's going to kind of increase competition because roughly at the moment, we've got majority of about 80% of the lend is actually done by just two lenders. So I think if we're going to see more lenders come into the market, it's definitely going to kind of increase competition and hopefully we'll see rates start to drop down as more lenders come into the market. So we've got these two uh, lenders both uh, uh, coming in this week. Um, do you expect more to follow as a result? Yes, well, we've um, Paragon, which was, well, previously used to be like the third biggest buy-to-let lender. I mean, they've kind of had to shut up shop because they heavily relied on the wholesale markets and they were kind of hit by their credit crunch. Um, they actually had their results last week and they kind of signaled that they're really about to come back into the market. And that will really actually significantly help because um, they were always very attractive with their pricing. And um, they actually kind of, you know, they were very careful with their underwriting. So even like on their arrears, they've really seen kind of 
hardly any arrears on their mortgage books. Um, we also, a couple of weeks ago, had Kensington, which was a previously a specialist lender, then bought by Investec, a private bank. Um, they've actually just entered the buy-to-let market for the first time. So again, that's another kind of lender that's just kind of into the market and increasing choice. You mentioned uh, price. Now, that's obviously the, one of the, the most crucial factors here. What sort of deals um, can we expect? What sort of interest rates are we talking about? Um, it varies quite a bit, obviously, to do with the, the loan-to-value that the um, buy-to-let investor wants. Um, prices, rates are still very high. I would say if you're going for a 75% loan-to-value, it would be around the kind of high 4% um, version of 5% for maybe one-year or two-year deals. So it's really quite high. And um, often they're quite tight on their criteria still. Um, 6%, you're more likely to see maybe 3%, um, you know, going to 4%. But, I mean, that remains the main problem. I think a lot of brokers I've been speaking to said that most current buy-to-let property investors are actually just sort of staying on their SVR because a lot of them are about 1% or 1.5% over base. So they're actually quite good deals that they're currently on. So they're not really going to look to remortgage until rates come lower or unless they actually want to reinvest in their property portfolio. And just finally, um, new lenders might encourage some people to start buying property, but at the same time, we're going to be talking about capital gains tax uh, later in the show, but some investors might be looking to get out before tax on their profits goes up. What do you think the overall impact will be on prices? Staying steady, falling? It's going to be interesting. I mean, prices could go sort of lower if we're going to see a kind of influx of um, properties come onto the market because obviously what's been driving prices for so long has been the kind of lack of lack of supply, really, and um, versus the high demand. So it'll be interesting to see actually how many of these vice investors actually take it as a real serious threat or whether actually it's still like a long-term investment and maybe we don't know what the government's going to bring in. Maybe it's going to be like a taper effect. We just, we just don't know. So it'll be interesting to watch that space. That's the potential sting the tell in terms of the buy-to-let property market at the moment. Yeah, indeed it is, and we'll have to wait and see. But if you are a current buy-to-let investor, at least you've got more choice for a remortgage. Thanks uh, very much for that, uh, Tanya. And for full details of the mortgages being offered by Precise and Aldermore, look out for Tanya's article in FT Money with this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, we all know that a tax rise is coming, but should you do anything about your capital gains before the emergency budget? First, though, child trust funds. As widely expected, the Conservative Lib Dem coalition has confirmed that the child trust fund, the tax-free savings scheme for children, kick-started with £250 of government money, is to be scrapped. But with only 1% of these funds being topped up by parents to the maximum amount, according to recent research by unbiased.co.uk, and with plenty of tax-efficient alternatives available, is this really such a loss? Ellen, is this bad news for parents? Well, the consensus is, having made some calls on this this week, um, is that no, it's not very much of a loss at all. That the, What happened with child trust funds is that the, the investment pots were so small and the charges were high, so that eroded a lot of the gains and eroded the, the government handout money that was given to you. So, And there are a lot of alternative investments that are as attractive. Uh, so there's still a lot of options out there for people who are looking to sock away money for their children's education. I mean, Steve, what do you think? Do you? Um, what are some su- suggestions that you give to clients who are looking to put money away for school fees? I mean, child trust fund, you can never really use for school fees anyway, purely because the fact that the money didn't become available until the child's 18th birthday. So... Um, the sorts of things I've used been looking at using a child as an income tax allowance and a capital gains tax allowance and therefore if you 
use something like a unit trust but make sure that you wrap it up in some form of trust and therefore it's taxed on the child rather than on the parent that's a very tax efficient way of doing it but compared to a child trust fund it's a little bit more complicated and therefore does need a bit of advice whereas something like a child trust funds low maintenance i just don't think they were ever really appreciated by the parents because it was free money rather than something whereby you're incentivized to really save money such as if the contributions were matched Steve, can you describe how you would set up a bear trust to house investments? Well, you'd need somebody legally qualified to actually write the trust, but it's not particularly complicated, and some insurance companies will actually automatically provide you with those, and it's just a, just a question of using, well, the same as any trust, you have a, a set law, um, trustees and beneficiary, really, and... The key thing to a trust is making sure that you can't put the money into a trust and then actually decide, oh, actually, I want it back again. It's a it's a one-way gift, effectively. But it effectively would transfer... Uh, the, the the trust would be in the name of the child, so it would fall... All of his allowances would be used. Well, they would be, they would be the beneficiary. Yeah, yeah so, so your allowances, it would be out of your estate for um, tax purposes. As long then. as it's irrevocable, i.e. You, you can't undo it, yeah. Are there any other options that you would suggest? Well, keeping things as simple as possible, I mean, the, the ISA allowance has just gone up for adults to 10200 and with two parents, that's £20,000 a year that a lot of people won't necessarily be using. Um, the, the money is still in the parent's name rather than in the child's name, but it, it's got to be tax-free. I know you could talk about capital gains tax shortly, but a lot of people don't use their capital gains tax allowances each year, so that's a, another way of planning. Um, and it, it's more about the using these allowances and then the products which can fit around them, um, whether or not that's something like a unit trust or even shares. And I mean, even even with a, a bank account, a, a child has a, a tax allowance. A lot of people don't actually realise that you can... Um, there's a form called an R85 you can get filled in so the tax isn't deducted at source and it, you may as well just make sure that the uh, that things are done as tax efficiently as possible. Um, Steve, I, uh, I've i written a bit in the past about um, parents putting money into pensions for their yep. child or grandparents putting money into pension. Yep. Obviously you couldn't use that for school fees and, and no. they couldn't touch it until they were 50 or 55 or something. Yep. But but is that something that you've seen people doing as well? Yeah, kind of long -term yeah quite saving? a lot actually. Yeah. I mean about a year ago, there were a lot more insurance companies offering pension contracts for children than there are now, and that's one of the, the sad things because they just... I think someone was saying it's about 14 years for an insurance company to break even on offering a, a, a stakeholder contract, um, and unfortunately they just weren't making enough money out of it. But there are still a couple of players in the market, but... <laughs> I mean, AXA, Clerical Medical, both pulled out recently. I think Aviva are just pulling out of the children's stakeholder market. But the, the actual... I mean, there's a particular client I remember looking at it for a four-year-old child and a two-year-old child. And the actual difference that starting for a two-year-old made compared to a four-year-old, something like an extra 20%, is just the compound mm. growth effect mm. of getting a pension started at such a young age is, well... It's about as long a term investment as you can ever get. So mm. I think it's a brilliant idea. 
And the other brilliant idea, I suppose, is that um, the, the child can't squander the money on some big party, which is, which is <laughs> always the concern with the child trust fund. Well, yeah. At least with the pension, it's going to be a carriage clock or something more sensible <laughs> like that. Thanks very much uh, indeed for that, uh, Steve and uh, Ellen. And for details um, of all of those alternative uh, savings options for children, look out for Ellen's article in the money section of this weekend's FT. And finally today, capital gains tax. Two weeks ago, the coalition government's 11-point policy document included the intention to raise capital gains tax from its current flat rate of 18% to rates similar or close to those applied to income. In other words, up to 40 or possibly even 50%. So with details expected in the emergency budget on June the 22nd, tax advisors have been urging their clients to take what gains they can at the current lower rate. But is this really wise? If you think back to the March budget, some entrepreneurs were encouraged to sell their businesses only to discover that the tax relief for business disposals was increased in that budget. Um, Alice, that's a bit of a cautionary tale. Is it worth trying to second-guess the new Chancellor? Well, as with any gamble, if you get it right, it probably is worth it. I mean, we're looking at a rise from 18% to 40 or 50%. So that could be a significant amount of money if you if you were considering selling and do it after the emergency budget. Um, the, I mean, I think tax advisors are trying to play it safe. So what they're mainly saying is, if you were thinking of selling something anyway, you know, maybe within the next year, maybe you should probably bring that forward and try and do it this month. And then they're kind of covering those bases. Um, so it would, I mean, you're not really losing anything by doing that. There was some speculation that it could be backdated, so that it could be backdated to April, which would mean that if you sold something now, um, then, you know, you would end up paying 40 or 50% on it anyway. And particularly if you hadn't wanted to sell it anyway then you might just have paid a whole load of tax that you really didn't need to pay. Um, but the, the general view is that it won't be backdated. I think that's kind of very few people think it will be. Um, the, the other question is, will it come in immediately, you know, at the time of the emergency budget? Um, opinions are divided. Of, I, I think about at least as many people think that it will be not until next April that it will come in. So, again, you would still have, you know, a fair amount of time uh, to, to make arrangements. I suppose there are some fairly simple tactics that will be a good idea anyway, no matter what happens. Things like selling assets that are not held in an individual savings account ISA at the moment and then buying them back into an ISA, for example. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of advice around transferring into tax wrappers at the moment. I mean, people are being advised to put um, assets into ISAs where they would then be free of capital gains. Um, people are also being advised to transfer assets into their pension plan where then they can, uh, you know, benefit from the um, extra tax relief that they would get there. There's also uh, people are talking about bed and breakfasting of shares. So if you sell your shares now um, and then you're kind of crystallising the capital gains um, tax at 18%, but then you can buy them back within 30 days. Uh, so that's that's something that's being advised if you don't want to sell your shares completely. You can just kind of crystallise the capital gains at the lower rate. So there's all this kind of like complicated fiddly tax stuff going on. Yeah, so uh, I suppose we alluded to this earlier when we are talking about buy-to-let property. Uh, the problem if you are a property uh, owner is that you're not going to be able to sell your, your buy-to-let property in the next couple of weeks yeah, so uh, you're you're basically just, just going to have to wait and see what happens in the budget and i suppose that mm. that's what a lot of people will do anyway yeah i mean you know you'll have to hope that whatever measures are introduced will actually come in 
next April, you know, in the next tax year and, and not immediately. And, you know, there's there's some, there's, you know, quite a, a lot of people that think that that will happen. So it could not all be terrible news. Um, there's also been talk of possible introduction of taper relief, which could uh, soften the blow. And this was something that was um, scrapped uh, back in 2008 when they changed the capital gains tax rate to a flat rate of 18%. But before that, the longer you held an asset, um, the lower the tax you had to pay on it. So people are hoping, I mean, the industry is all saying, please, please introduce something like this again so that, uh, that you know, there's this distinction drawn between kind of short-term speculators and long-term investors. Which, of course, is how the, uh, the system used to work, as you as you rightly mentioned. And uh, listeners may be pleased to hear that FT Money columnist uh, John Lee uh, has used his... Uh, position in the House of Lords to write to the Chancellor insisting that there be some differentiation between long-term gains and short-term gains. He's not the only one. So uh, there could be some good news in the emergency budget, we certainly hope so. Alice, thanks very much uh, for that. And uh, for more on tax planning, uh, it is advisable now. Uh, You can find details in Alice's article in FT Money with this weekend's FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you will find weekday news updates and uh, all of these stories on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Tanya, Alice and Ellen and our special guest, Steve Wiesner from Radcliffe and Newlands. Goodbye. Bye. 